0: Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got we also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. 9 says this, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, And the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. But Nehemiah, the governor, he said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. We're going to do that pretty soon at Christmas. We're going to celebrate a holy day and we're going to enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Hopefully we'll do that too. We'll bless some people this Christmas. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, here it comes, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can have your seat. Because that's what we're gonna talk about for the next few minutes. We're gonna talk about this topic of joy. And then we're going to worship with a joyful noise. I don't know what kind of voice you have, but I don't know if you noticed, when I was singing, this microphone was real far from my face because it's a joyful noise, but it's not a a pretty one. But we're going to get in the Word of God. I'm excited to bring this Word to you today. God has been brewing this on my heart for a long time. And I think it's so important and relevant in this season because we have something pretty big coming up. Christmas. Who's ready for Christmas? Let me see some hands. All right, y'all, I love Christmas, but I don't like you because I am not ready. I don't have my gift spot yet. I don't have the food planned, but I love it. And here's the thing that I want to talk about a little bit when it comes to joy. You have been trained and conditioned, rightfully so, your whole life, that Christmas is a joyful season, that you're going to be happy. We start watching Hallmark movies at the beginning of December. We go to the distillery district downtown, and we see the tree. Y'all, Toronto has a Dior tree now. Have you seen that? Toronto's bougie all of a sudden. Like We went from no-name brands to Dior. It's incredible. Anyways, we have all these incredible, fun things we do at Christmas. And and I hope you have a great Christmas. I don't mean to be a downer. But some of us, we aren't going to feel and experience that joy this Christmas. You know, we're told that we need to and that we should, but we're going to be left going, I got the gift, but why am I still not happy? I went with the family, why am I still not happy? Oh yeah, because that crazy cousin, that's why. But maybe there's some other reason, you know? And we're just still not happy. And we're gonna be left asking the question, why don't I feel it? Why am I annoyed when I should be grateful? You ever been in that position? where you know you should be grateful, but you're just left feeling annoyed. If that's you, uh, help me preach this sermon. I do something a little different. It's called interactive preaching. Y'all get involved in this, okay? Would you choose a neighbor? I'm gonna come out on this runway so I can check up on you. Choose a neighbor, and here it is, the one whom you love, your first overall draft pick. Come on, I'm looking, choose your neighbor. Find them right now, real quick. The one whom you love, you got him? I'm looking, you got the married people, intelligence right now, dating people, smart right now. You got the one whom you love? You got the one? Okay, now completely ignore them and go to your second overall pick. That's pretty rude. The one that you were avoiding, messed up, and say to them this like a preacher. Say, I've got joy. No, no, say it like you're preaching. I've got joy. Now say this, but I'm a little annoyed, mainly because you chose me second, and that's rude. And now i got to sit with you for a 30-minute message before we worship. That's what I want to talk about. I've got joy. I know I do. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I got it. But I'm still kind of annoyed. You know, I'll just be honest with you. I like being transparent when I preach because a lot of preachers, you know, we think we're all that and we think we got it all figured out. We don't have it figured out. We're in this thing just like you. We're studying the Word of God just like you are. I am a person that more often than not I feel annoyed. Like, it's not just the 401, the Don Valley Parkway, and the 410. Guaranteed I'm annoyed in those situations. Y'all were annoyed just a few minutes ago getting here. But I'm just a person who sometimes I feel annoyed. So I'm going to share a story with you of a time that I was feeling very, very annoyed. Um, But before I do that, it's not good to live a life annoyed. It's actually quite miserable. I don't recommend it. But there is one thing worse than living a life annoyed. You know what that is? Living a life annoyed with a happy person especially when you're married to that happy person and you can't get away from that happy person. You know who I'm talking about? Like the proverbial glass half full kind of people, those disgusting people that you just, you know, you're annoyed and you just want to, you just share a little bit and find some common ground. And they just say, they say things like this, don't worry, God's going to work it out. I know, don't tell me that right now. I know God's going to work it out. I've been to Sunday school. You know, when you're married to people like her, this beautiful woman right here, I give it up for my wife, Lindsay, who was just caring for our baby, it's rough. The only thing worse than living a life annoyed is living a life annoyed with a joyful person. It's not fun. It's not easy. So let me tell you this story real quick, then we'll get to the Word. Um... I love motorcycles. I have my whole life. I've ridden motorcycles for, I don't know, 15 years. I'll say that because anything older would prove that I did a legal activity when I should have been. All my life, I love them. And I had this one motorcycle that I really, really loved. Anyone ride a motorcycle in here? Anyone? Yeah, all right. Be safe out there. You know what it's like. Um, This was a Triumph Daytona 675. You know, most of you aren't going to get that, but it it was a beautiful bike. It was a fun bike. And I know, looking at my nerdy self, you probably don't believe me. So I brought a picture. Put the picture up on the screen. Um, That's me on the bike. I know i got a helmet, and you can't verify it, but it is me, okay? And, you know, I know I'm wearing a polo golf shirt and Sperry's and jeans with just one little rip in it. But I was in Bible college at the time, so that's what Baptist rebellion looks like. When you're in Baptist Bible College, that's being rebellious in, in Bible College. That, that was me, and I loved this bike so much, man. I, like, talked to her at night, you know, made sure she was okay. I kept it clean. I love this thing so much. And I think part of the reason why I love it so much is that beautiful woman, my wife, who I just pointed out to you, Lindsay, a minute ago. Guys, this is crazy. Get this. See that little seat back there that's about four inches in diameter? for the passenger, this is a sport bike. It's not really meant for passengers. Our first date was on this motorcycle. We're talking 12 years ago. Yeah, hold on before you clap, okay? Because I went up to this girl who is absolutely way more beautiful than I should be talking to. I mean, like, it's just, if you don't believe miracles happen, just look at me, then look at her after. You'll know that God is still moving today. Miracles still happen every day. And I went up to her and said, hey, you know, would you like to go out on a date on my motorcycle? Because I thought that would be cool, right? And, um, you know, we'll, we'll go on like a good long three-hour ride deep into the woods up on a mountain. Where there's no one else. Oh, and by the way, there's no cell service. It's so peaceful. And, you know, it's just going to be great. Ladies, young ladies, if any fine gentleman comes up to you and puts that question to you, there's only one acceptable answer, and it's no. Okay? I could have been a serial killer. A mountain forest with with no cell service? No is the only acceptable answer. But she said yes. And now, nine years later, we're still married and we got a beautiful little baby boy. So give it up for her turned out I wasn't a serial killer which is great (laughs) because now I'm a pastor and that would have been awkward anyways I love this motorcycle so much and and you know I had an apartment I was living in southern Virginia at the time I'm Canadian I'm from Toronto but I went to school in Virginia a university called Liberty University studied there and I lived down there for eight years and and I go out of my apartment one one day one morning and I go to check on my girl we're not dating yet, so my motorcycle's still my girl. And, um, and I go to check on her, and, and it's gone. It's not there. And I call my roommate up, and I'm like, bro, did you take my bike again without asking me? We, we got to stop this. And he's like, dude, I didn't take your bike. What are you talking about? It was there last night. I saw it. It was just gone. And to cut to the chase, what happened is my motorcycle was stolen. And I didn't know by who or when or how, you know, I call the police and the police are like, look, man, we never find motorcycles. Like, that thing is gone, okay? Motorcycles get parted out. They're so easy to move around. It's gone. I was furious, I loved this thing. I had no money, all my money was in it. and just let, let me tell you how bad it was, because I was a cheap college kid. I had canceled the insurance on the motorcycle because it was winter, and I wasn't riding it. This is a ten thousand motorcycle, $10,000 motorcycle gone. I was, needless to say, annoyed, very annoyed. And Lindsay and I, we were just early on in our relationship. And, and for three days, I was the grumpiest, cruelest person that you would ever meet. And positive, stinking Polly over here is just, don't worry, they're going to find it. I'm like, woman, don't tell me they're going to find it. It is in a crate on the way to Dubai already. There is no way this motorcycle is going to be found. I have accepted it, and I've moved on. She's like, it doesn't sound like you've moved on. <laughs> and, and she just stayed positive, and she's like, let's pray. Let's pray about it. Three days in, I realized that I didn't even pray about this. I didn't even talk to God about it, and I didn't even share with him my heart about the situation. I was just annoyed and lashing out on everyone, and won't you know what happened next? Three days later, I get a call from the police, and they say, you're not going to believe this. We have found your motorcycle, and we're setting up a sting operation, like Y5O or some SWAT business, and and, and we're going to get it tonight because they're going to try to sell it, and we know where they're going to sell it, and we're going to get it. Make a long story short, they got my motorcycle, the next day I got it back, they even paid me for the damages on it, and all that time, I was just mad at Lindsay for staying positive and in prayer, and look what happened, God was good, and I got the motorcycle back, that's right, which is great, but I lived through that entire season aggravated and, and, and frustrated, and the, the Lord was so good to bring it back, because it wasn't just this childish like for a motorcycle. That motorcycle was my savings. And when we got married, I sold that bike and it became our 5% down payment. First time home buyers, you know, because homes are like $8 million now in Toronto. So you know, if you're gonna buy one, you gotta go 5% down. And and we sold it and got our first condo, which we would sell and buy our house, and we were so blessed by finding this motorcycle. So God is good and positive people are good. But here's why I'm telling you this crazy story. I learned a lot from her that day. I learned that she had joy despite the circumstances. And that, my friends, is a very difficult skill to master because if you're anything like me, I'm annoyed because I let my demeanor sit at the level of my circumstances. And this life is hard. This life has storms. This life has challenges. But that's what I would do. I would let Let my demeanor get affected by my circumstances, but she had this joy, and as annoying as it is, she would even get to a point where it's more annoying. She would quote scripture, God's working it in your favor, all things for those called according to his purpose. I get it. It's not blasphemy. It was just annoying in the situation, but she had something figured out. See, see, she had this fountain of joy when I didn't, and I, I wanted it. And that was one of the things that I found most attractive about her. And it's one of the reasons why we're married today is because I was like, man, how do I get a joy like that? She is a joyful lady. Um, when she was delivering our baby, probably TMI right here, but I'm just going to go for it. Hopefully she'll forgive me lady. later. Um, she had a worship playlist going in the delivery room. The doctor walks in. He's like, well, this is a first. Never seen this before. Maverick, our son, was born to firm foundation, y'all. I mean, this kid is just, if he ain't going to be a pastor, I don't know who will be. Uh, she's got this, this commitment to being joyful. There's nothing joyful about pushing a human being out of your body. That, that sounds terrible. And, and I'm just really glad that I'm a man right now. Anyways, that had nothing to do with my message. But what I want to tell you is that that type of joy has a lot of power. And she has been through some hard stuff in her life. It's not that she's had it easy, but here's what she has taught me. She has taught me, and this is what you got to get tonight, that we have to talk back. That we have to talk back to the enemy. It's not a one-way street because the enemy, I promise you, will keep sending daggers your way. Trials, tribulations, and storms. You don't have to work hard to let your mind get negative. That happens almost automatically. We have to learn how to talk back to the enemy with the word of God. That's what we got to learn to do, and that's what we're going to learn to do tonight. Um, I told you earlier that I have a son. His name is Maverick. He's 19 months old. I I gotta show you to him. Put him up on the screen. Check out this little G. Look at him right there. That's Maverick Christmas edition. That was taken last week in our home. Uh, he's 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 holding a red heart in his hand, ladies. Come on. How much cuter does it get than that? Um, he is adorable, and he is a perfect child. Uh, And anyone who tells me different, I won't believe it, but we taught him this word, two words, no, no, because you got to teach your kid. You know, he's almost a toddler now. He's running around. He's curious. You got to teach him what not to do. So we taught him the word no, no, and it was great. You know, he'd walk up and he'd even maybe hit his head on a table, which happens. It's terrible. And he would walk up to the table and go, no, no, to the table, like, you hurt me. Don't do that. And it was all going great until literally last week, I, I told him, Maverick, stop that. And he looks at me and he goes, no, no. <laughs> and I'm like, did my teenage 19-month-old just talk back to me? like if I entered this stage and apparently I have, we gotta learn to have that childlike talk back to the devil. Some of us need to get a little attitude in the room tonight because we're these kind Canadians that just let it happen to us. Oh well it's just another day in my life. It's never gonna get better. You need to learn how to talk back to the enemy because you know the end of his story. You know that he is under the foot of your savior Jesus Christ. You know that he is already defeated and when he reminds you of your past you got to remind him of his future because he has already been defeated it is guaranteed and there is nothing he can do to stop the promises of God on your life nothing I promise you that is true so all he can do is this he can distract he can discourage and hopefully get you to a point where you will give up and his best way of doing that is to steal your joy because when you don't have joy It's hard to get through a day. This life is hard. Joy is your lifeline. It's what you have to have. It is one of the most valuable commodities traded today. I promise you this. You could have a billion dollars, but if you don't have joy, you have nothing. You could have the title, the job that you have always wanted, but without joy, you'll just want to give it back. Joy is one of the most valuable traded commodities today. But here's the bad part of it. In 2023... We have more today than we've ever had before. We have comforts, we have technology, we have cars. Life should be better than it's ever been in history. But did you know that contentment around the world is at an all time low? In the past 10 years in North America, the World Happiness Index has been on a steady decline. We are getting richer and we are getting better technology, but our happiness is going the other direction. Our contentment is not increasing, and that's a bad thing according to the word of God because Proverbs seventeen twenty two says this. It says that a joyful heart is what? Good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. The enemy wants you to live and operate annoyed under a crushed spirit because he wants nothing left but your dried up bones, but the God who created you wants you to live a joyful life. The Christian walk is a hard walk, but it could and should be a joyful walk. One of the great keys to this life is happiness, is contentment, is joy. we got to find it. It's good for us. It lowers your blood pressure. Some of us need that. It helps with weight loss. i got the dad bod rocking now. I need that. I need some more joy. It's actually good for you. Joy boosts your immune system, but it seems to be that thing that everyone wants but can only capture for a little while can never really hold on to it. I had a good week, and then I had a bad week. I had a good day, and then the next day was the worst day I've ever had. It seems like this slippery paradox that we just can't seem to actually attain. And here's why. Here's why I believe that happens. In the pursuit of chasing joy, the enemy has set a trap for you. And if you're anything like me, you've fallen for it time and time again. He wants you to believe that joy is just Over yonder. He wants you to believe that joy is just over yonder. Some of you are like, what does that mean? I lived in southern Virginia, okay? So I learned some country speak. Yonder is a place that someone wants you to believe is close but really isn't. Like, oh yeah, you know, just go down yonder there. Down yonder in that direction, you'll see it. And soon you realize that yonder is a long way out. But the enemy has set this trap to make you believe that when you get the spouse, you will finally be happy. That when you own the home and you don't have to pay that rent anymore, you'll be happy. That when you get the promotion or the job that you believe you deserve, that you will then be happy. And here's why it's such a beautiful trap that he sets. Because God loves you and you end up getting it, but then guess what? After a little while, you're still not happy. And all of a sudden your heart has turmoil in it like never before. It's contentment, happiness, and joy, we've bought the lie that it will always be in the next fill-in-the-blank, in the next season of our life. This is just a hard season. The next one will have joy. The next one will have joy. And what that leaves is us just feeling annoyed. The word of the Lord for you today, I mean it with all my heart, is this that joy does not have to be in your next season. The joy is available for you right here, right now. That you don't have to get that next thing first, that it is available, and God wants you to have it. But we gotta understand what it is. Joy. In the New Testament, every time it's used, it's a Greek word, kara. And it comes from the root word, charis. Charis in Greek literally means a gift. you got to understand that joy is a gift. Here's the thing about gifts. You can't earn gifts. Gifts are 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 something that you don't earn yourself Get to. It's something that someone gives you out of the goodness of your heart. Joy is a gift. Real joy, the lasting type of joy, my friends, is a gift from God and from nothing else. It's a gift from your maker. We can't make our own joy, yet we spend most of our lives trying. You go to Chapters, you go to Indigo tomorrow, Barnes and Noble, whatever it is, you will find a 100 self-help books of how to be happy, how to be content, How to Live a Joyful Life. Let me just give you a little tip. If just one of those worked, there wouldn't be 99 more. But there is one book that does actually tell you how to have joy. There is one book that is the greatest book written of all time. There is one book with over 738,000 words and not a single contradiction, yet written by over 40 authors over a span of thousands of years. And it actually tells us how to have joy. That's what I want. I am tired of seven steps, seven better rhythms and routines in our life so that we can finally be happy. Those might work for a little while, but I promise you this, if you hear nothing else I say tonight, until Jesus Christ is enough for you, no person, no place, no routine, no practice ever will be. Nothing else ever will will because we all have a God size shaped hole and only he can fulfill it. But when he is there my friends you can get an everlasting joy. There is a woman in the Bible that you have likely heard of called the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. This story takes place in John chapter 4 and it's a pretty interesting story. I won't read you the whole thing because we got some worship to do tonight. But if you know anything about this woman, A, she's a Samaritan. B, She's had five husbands, (laughs) y'all. Like, let's not get judgy. This is church, but that is an achievement. Like, one or two, some things happen, but five husbands, that's an achievement. And and then Christ comes to her, which, by the way, his disciples were very vexed by this because this was a racist and misogynistic time where Christ should not be talking to a woman. And as a Jew, he should certainly not be talking to a Samaritan. But sometimes you got to break the norms of society to do what's right. Sometimes you got to step out in obedience to your God, even if it's unpopular. And that's what Christ did in this situation. And he talks to her because he knows that she's not happy. She has been looking for joy in a man. And she has tried five times, and it has still not worked out, and she's about to try again. And we probably know how that's going to work out, too. She was pulling up from her own well and finding that she just was still thirsty. In fact, she had a very specific type of thirst, but we'll just not strike that from YouTube. Pretend I didn't say that. So, till Christ intervenes <laughs> and comes to her. Let's get back to Scripture. John 4:13, And he says this. He says, everyone who drinks this water, the water that comes up, the physical, tangible water out of that well, will be thirsty again. Anyone who drinks the water of this life, those things that you think are going to make you happy and give you contentment and joy, I promise you, you'll still thirst again. Christ tells that to you because he loves you and he wants you to know that. He says that to her, but then verse 14, here's the good news. This is the gospel. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. That should get somebody excited because that's the type of water that you have access to. A type that springs up into eternal life, eternal joy. What this teaches us is that he and he alone is the source of our joy the real source of our joy. And here's the best news tonight is that he is right here with you in your midst. That you don't have to get to the next season to find joy because you have Jesus Christ. That means you already got it. You already have it. You don't need a new city. You don't need a new marriage. You don't need a new house. You don't need a new look. You don't need a new boo. You don't even need a new you because you have Christ and he is in you. And his joy can and will be your strength. So here's the thing. Contentment and joy, my friends, is not in the new. It's in the now. It's right here. You can have it. But this is the question you should be asking this 34-year-old preacher. You should be saying, I'm down with that, and I like that. How? Cool, preacher. I like that, but how? I get that he is my joy. Why am I still annoyed like you are all the time? Why? How do I do it? How do I see it? And I want to tell you this, the reason that you don't feel joy even though he is in you is I think sometimes just like me, you're looking for the wrong thing. See, what you seek, you will find. That is a true fact in life. Where you put your focus will determine what you find. So if we believe joy is just over yonder... And it's at that next thing, then we're going to be happy. You're going to do what I did for three days when my motorcycle was gone and not even pray, not even go to the only one who can actually bring you peace in a storm like that. See, we think that we can bring ourselves joy. The sad reality, I mean, I know you came to a worship night, is that you can't make yourself happy. And your spouse, as incredible as he or she may be, they can't make you happy either. And a lot of relationships meet their grave because we think that's their responsibility. But there is only one person that can truly make you happy. And here's the the even harsher reality. I don't think your joy is actually really about you at all. And I don't think my joy is actually really about me at all either. Because Nehemiah chapter 8, which we read at the beginning tonight, it tells you something else. It has that beautiful saying that you've seen in your grandma's kitchen. You've seen it on Pinterest. Do y'all still do Pinterest? Is that a thing? Anyone still do Pinterest? I never did it because I'm a guy, and that'd be weird. Anyways, you've seen it before. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You've seen it, and it's great, and you might come here tonight and go, wow, Pastor, I stood in that long line, and that's all you're going to give me? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I already know that. I went to Sunday school. I know you know it, but here's the thing. Do you really understand it? And I don't say that with judgment, because for 33 years of my life, I didn't. I knew it. I could recite it to you, no problem. I grew up in church. I'm a fifth-generation PK. Anyone know what a PK is? Pastor's kid, wrong. Poor kid. I'm a fifth-generation poor kid. I know. Also a preacher's kid. But that's okay. I knew the verse, but a verse is only so good as you actually know how to use it. And here is the thing. you got to understand the context of this verse because that's only part of one verse. What's happening here is that the Jewish people have just been defeated by the Babylonian Empire. And Jerusalem has been destroyed. Judah has been defeated. The temple, God's temple, has been burnt down to the ground. And guess what? Again, they have now been taken into captivity and slavery. By the Babylonian Empire. Situation is bad. Situation is rough. But by chapter 8 of Nehemiah, things start to get a little better. There's this Persian king who respects the Jewish people. And he gives them money and he buys freedom for a certain amount of them. And he commissions them to go back to the Holy Land to go back to Jerusalem, and he asks them to rebuild that city, and he does this at God's call, at God asking him to do it, and that's where we are here in chapter 8, in that verse that we read. We're going to read it again in in a second. The city is now rebuilt by Nehemiah. The walls are rebuilt. The temple is rebuilt by the priest Zerubbabel. If any of you are pregnant, I'm pretty sure that name is available. Zerubbabel. Don't recommend it. Your kid's probably going to get beat up a lot. But it's available. Zerubbabel. (laughs) The priest has rebuilt the temple. Ezra, the writer, the author of the book of Nehemiah, he has rebuilt the people's hearts. Because they were, for a whole generation, in slavery. He has rebuilt their hearts. And for the first time, this is it, for the first time in an entire generation, imagine that, a generation The word of God is being read. For a whole generation it was banned and not allowed to be read. And God's city is rebuilt. And they are being faithful and they are abiding in God's word. And and when they read his word, they realize how far they have fallen. And they're crushed and they're sad and they want to repent and they're confused. And then Nehemiah steps in and says this in verse 9. He and Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy that choice food we talked about, the sweet drinks, and give to those who don't have it, with nothing prepared, for this day is holy. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." And you're like, Preacher, why are you repeating this again? Because I had this verse wrong my entire life. I thought what this meant is when I don't have joy, all I need to do is reach up to God and grab some of His and let His joy be my strength. And that might pass the sniff test, but here's a problem. How? I mean, I tried when I was annoyed, I tried when I couldn't walk for a year and I had a serious injury to my leg, I tried in those situations to just grab it and pull that joy down, but I failed at it. And I think the reason I failed and I think the reason why sometimes it's so hard for you to just grab that joy and bring it down is that we're reading what he said wrong. I'm not sure that that even works, that we can just pull joy down from God. Who are we to just just pull something down and have it, and take it from God, especially when we're annoyed. That's the last thing we want to do when we're aggravated, and when we're annoyed right now. It's not a fair representation of the words, though, because what God has been revealing to me through this scripture is that it's not a one-way street that we just get to grab and pull it down. We like to read it that way because it's more easy. It's a two-way street, It's a two-way street. See, we love to read things in the easy way, the way that benefits us. What can we get out of it? That sounds great. Yeah, just give me some of that joy. I'll take some of that strength. But what if it was more about what we can give than what we can get? What if it was more about what we can give than what we can get? See, here is the whole thing. Here's what Ezra was saying. Let's just break it down phonetically for a second. Here's what he's saying. He is saying That the joy of the Lord, his joy, and his happiness will then become our strength. What does that mean? He's saying when we are faithful, when we are obedient, when we make our Father in heaven happy and give him joy, guess what we get in return? Strength. That's what he's actually being said, that the joy of the Lord, his joy is your strength. It's not some superficial thing that you just get to pull down. No, no, no. It's that when we obey him, when we are faithful to him, we make him happy and then he gives us strength. My friends, when you are strong, that is when you experience real joy. When you operate in a place of fear, you do not have joy. You have insecurity and you have anxiety. And imagine this, the fact that you and I, us People, us, regular people, that we have an ability to bring joy to the creator of the universe. That he cares about your heart and your soul that much that when you obey him and you are faithful to him, it actually makes him happy and gives him joy. It's not that we just take it. It's so much more than that. It's that when we make him happy, he gives us the joy, and it becomes our strength. That is the only time that we find true joy. It's the only time when we give him joy. So how do we do that? Last question, then we're going to get back to worship. How do we make him happy? We make him happy with faithfulness. Matthew chapter 25, you've probably heard of it, the parable of the talents. You know, you've heard that one, Matthew chapter 25. What happens in that parable There is a servant who is trusted with five bags of gold. There's another servant with two. There's another servant with one. We'll just go through one of them for time. And what happens? Matthew 25 verse 20. It's going to come up on the screen. The one who had received five talents came and brought five other talents talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me the five talents. Look, I have gained five more. His Lord says to him this. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. My prayer for you is at the end of your story, at the end of your life, that those are the words that you hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what this life is all about. What What the Lord is saying there is that, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have given me joy. You have made me happy. You have done well. You were faithful over a few things, so I will make you ruler over many things. That's called strength. And that's what he does with your faithfulness. So guess what? Enter into the joy of your Lord. That is how you find joy, by being faithful. In this life, It's hard, man. Circumstances are far beyond our control. The only way you get a real strength is when you are faithful to God. And he gives you that strength that you need because without it, no matter how strong or how wise you are, you will end up lacking joy. You will end up lacking contentment. So here it is. What I'm trying to tell you is this. When you lack joy... When you are not happy, and it might happen this Christmas, I hope it doesn't, but when you have the party and you're still not happy after, when you got the gift, when you bought your kid the gift that you thought they were going to love so much and they looked at it for two seconds and you looked at your credit card statement and wow, I went in debt for two seconds. When that happens to you, you need to understand that joy, my friends, is not just over yonder. Stop looking to the next season and start looking at the one who is the author of your story. Stop worrying about what the next page is going to be and start worshiping the one who writes every single page in your book. It's faithfulness that is the key to joy. Joy is not just over yonder. It's just over you. It's not just over yonder. It's just over you. It's not about what you can do to make yourself happy. It's about what you can do for your Lord to make Him happy. And to give joy to the Lord, my friends, I promise you is to receive it in greater measure. There is nothing you can do that will bring you more fulfillment and joy than to make Him happy. You don't need that new house You don't need that new job to be happy. Those aren't bad things. I hope you get all of them. You don't need that new city to move to. You don't need that new church. You don't need that new pair of kicks. That's my weakness. I'm just confessing to you right now. You don't need that new pair of kicks to be happy. You don't even need a new you or a new look. Here's what you and I need. We need a new master. We need a new master. We got to stop worrying about what we're going to get and start worrying about who we're going to serve. Because when you serve him, when you are faithful to him, you receive the joy of the Lord and you get his strength. So would you stand back up to your feet because we're going to go back into a time of worship. We're not done. This is the best worship of every night. You know, it's Christmas and I think about this often. How come for one month of the year, we can play songs about Jesus in Walmart, Shoppers Drug Mart, on the radio, and it's not offensive. It's just beautiful, and no one really has a problem with it. But then for 11 other months, it's, it's not acceptable, and we need to keep Christ in our box, and we can't have him at the workplace. We can't have him all these other places. Let me tell you why. Because at Christmas, the image of Jesus is just a baby, a baby who is a Savior, A baby who came to save us. No one has problem with a Savior. But when Christ grows up and becomes a man, now he becomes your Lord. And we got a lot of problems with Christ being our Lord. Because then we actually have to obey him. And we have to listen to his teachings. But you got to understand this tonight, that he is not just the sweet baby Jesus in a manger. He is the resurrected king who defeated death, hell, and the grave and gave up his life for you. Not for the church. Not corporately. For me. For Ryan McVitie's shortcomings. For my transgressions. For your sin. He went up on that cross and he had nails driven through his hand. He made himself of no reputation Because he wasn't concerned about his reputation. He was concerned about yours. And he still is concerned about yours now today. So you got to understand. He is a good God. And he is for you. And if you will choose to serve him. He is a faithful master and he will reward you. To give joy to God is to receive it in greater measure. And he loves when you worship him. He loves when you shift your eyes upon him. He is good and he is the only one worthy of it. The very fact that you have breath in your lungs tonight is a testimony of the goodness of God. There was someone in the room that that car should have taken you out. But he moved plans. He moved traffic. That's my story. When season one of The River ended, my wife was pregnant And I was driving to North Carolina where she was, and a drunk driver drove the wrong way on the interstate and hit my car head on. He was driving 100 miles an hour. I shouldn't be standing here right now, but I have a good God who loves me and wanted me to meet my son and be his father. You have a good God who loves you, and you might not have a dramatic story like that that you know about, but I promise you, you have a whole bunch of them that you just haven't heard about yet. He loves you. He cares for you. He protects you, and he is good, and if you ever doubted and you ever get annoyed like grumpy Ryan McVitie, just stop for a minute and look back at his goodness. Look back at what he has done for you. Look at the people in your life who still love you unconditionally. Look at the fact that you have a roof over your head. My friends, he is a good God. He is for you. He is the only one worthy of your service. There is so much evidence of his goodness. And if you will be faithful to him, it will bring him joy. And then he then promises to give you strength. That is the whole sermon in a sentence. And I promise you... The promises of God are yes and amen. They are true and they never return void. That is a promise He has spoken over your life. And there is no reason not to believe Him. In fact, He is too good for us to not believe Him this Christmas. Let's worship.